When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. And this darkness, literal darkness, just came like all over, just, just all over me except where I was standing. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. Hey there, believers. I've got a great episode for you today. Again, thank you, Les Odell, for sending people my way. Uh, I was contacted by Dusty Ruth. He's a BFRO investigator and researcher out of Ohio. And Dusty is bringing the heat today. He's got his own experiences, his own sightings, and tons of research and investigation, you know, investigator history to the show today. Uh, we go in, in depth about his own sightings, his own experiences. This guy's got nerves of steel, things that would have me shaken. Uh, he just stood there, man. Stood there with his, his thermal camera and, and caught stuff. So I, I'm, I'm pumped for you guys to hear him. Um, and of course, you know, we we kick around some other ideas. We we just get into to his own personal takes and theories. It's a great episode. I'm so excited to have some more Bigfoot content. I know you guys love it. I love it. Here it is. Hi there. My name is Dusty Ruth. I'm an investigator with uh, the BFRO. I'm also a member of the Northern Kentucky Bigfoot Research Group. And I also do investigations for Doug Waller of the Sospe Group out of Ohio. Uh, So I'm here tonight to just talk a little bit about Bigfoot. I first got uh, involved with, well, my interest, I I would say first, uh, took place with Bigfoot when I was little, you know, reading books and, and watching movies and things of that nature, the thing that usually get most people into it. Uh, and then as time went by, um, I, I'm, you know, of course, I played sports. I um, um, also, I went to college, which took away some of my time from being uh, as heavily involved in Bigfoot as I would have liked to. But then after uh, my college days were over and, and so forth, I was able to uh, get back to it a little bit and, and read more uh, in, with the books that were coming out. Uh, always, I was always mystified by Bigfoot and thought that I never knew that uh, they were actually in Ohio at that time when I was young and thought that I would have to go out to someplace like uh, Washington, Oregon, uh, Northern California or something to be able to have a Bigfoot encounter. Um, then little by little, I, uh, I, I once in a while would see an article in the paper or something of that nature uh, of a sighting that had allegedly taken place in Ohio. 
and that always picked my interest. Um, I then uh, started going to conferences in different places and stuff and hearing speakers speak. And some of them would be from or like around Ohio and around the Ohio area. And they would talk about their investigations and the sightings that had been reported to them in the Ohio area. And then that was really the first that I became aware that uh, there's really a, a lot of activity in Ohio taking place, especially in the southern portion of Ohio and the eastern portion of Ohio. Um, and then so I started to really try to soak up anything I could on these Ohio reports and the uh, uh, the speakers that were out uh, and doing talks on Ohio, investigations that were being done in Ohio, and uh, of course would grab anything written by any Ohio authors and things of that nature. Um, I had the opportunity, uh, uh, let me go back for a minute. In, in my career, I was actually an investigator. Uh, I, I was an investigator with a government agency here in Ohio and uh, was able uh, to avail myself to a lot of training on doing investigations uh, over the years. As a matter of fact, I was required to uh, uh, do that by the state of Ohio uh, in order to keep my license. And uh, so I always tried to sign up and attend uh, the best training that I thought was available uh, at the time. And so then uh, once I got uh, to the point of almost being able to retire, uh, I decided to, you know, maybe put my skills and my expertise to work in, in the training that I'd had in doing investigations. So I'd contacted a group uh, that some may have heard of. It was called APE out of Ohio. It was run by a great guy by the name of Dan Baker. And I had uh, volunteered to uh, do investigations for that uh, organization. Uh, I did for a while, and then Dan's health became such that, that he could no longer uh, lead that group. And so at that time, the group just kind of folded. Uh, at, at the time that it folded, then I was uh, contacted and asked by the BFRO here in Ohio if I would like to become a, an investigator for the BFRO. And so I readily said yes, because I was going to have to find uh, people to go out and do my squatching with uh, anyway. So it was just, it was a perfect opportunity for me to uh, join them. So I, uh, I joined the BFRO and became an investigator for them. Um, shortly after that, I be uh, became involved with the Northern Kentucky Bigfoot uh, Research Group, which is led by Tom Shea out of Kentucky and uh, became uh, quite active uh, with that group. Um, I also uh, had become good friends with Doug Waller, who runs the Sospi Group out of Ohio and uh, had been requested numerous times uh, by Doug to go and do investigations in the southern portion of Ohio and the eastern portions of Ohio. And then I uh, usually do a report and, and file that back with him. Um, so that pretty much has been my interest and in, in what has led me to uh, being involved in the area of uh, Bigfoot. 
Um, through doing that, uh, my first, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, I, over the years I'd casted tracks and things of that nature with one group or another, but my first opportunity to have a sighting of Bigfoot was actually just a couple years ago. Um, I was one of the leaders on um, a BFRO expedition here in Ohio and was leading a group. Uh, we were out sitting actually in a circle and uh, I placed everybody by in a circle because of having uh, formerly read a book by Robert Morgan. If you don't, you've never had a chance to read that book, you ought to read it because it's a great book written by a great individual. But it suggested doing that. So I had everybody sitting in a circle, kind of looking over each other's back. That way we could sit around and we could talk uh, and things of that nature. And if there was any Bigfoots around, they wouldn't really know that we were watching for them because we were actually sitting there looking at the individual across from us, but at the same time looking behind them into the woods. Uh, we did have uh, night vision. We had thermals and things of that nature while sitting in the group. I think there was about seven of us. Uh, while sitting there, we began to get pelted with uh, acorns and some little small walnuts. Uh, at that time, it was... Uh, and I'm trying to think, it was about the end of May, first, first of June, maybe something like that. The walnuts were still kind of small, maybe about the size of a, a nickel, I'd say, maybe not as big as a quarter, maybe between a nickel and a quarter. But anyway, something was pelting us with uh, these acorns and uh, small walnuts. And so that got our attention real quick. Uh, shortly after that, uh, one of the individuals kind of sitting across from me uh, was using a thermal and happened to kind of get excited and shouted that they saw one. Uh, I sat there and, and told them to, you know, just kind of calm down, don't frighten it off. Give, I wanted everybody in the group to have a chance to see this thing if, uh, if we could. So I uh, just kind of calmly asked him, where uh, this thing was that he was seeing, and he then informed me that it was behind me. Mm. Uh, at the time, he didn't say how far away it was or anything of that nature. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, you know, Bigfoot behind me. You know, I don't want to jerk around real quick and look to see uh, where it's at or what it's doing or anything. So um, I just kind of calmly, you know, told everybody if they had their thermals or night vision to look behind me and that I would get up in a few minutes and kind of walk to the other side of the circle and that I would look also. Well, each time that uh, uh, you know, they would say that they were seeing it or something like that, you know, I, I then got up and tried to get myself in position where I could see it also, but I, but I couldn't see it. I was looking through my thermal and every time I looked through the thermal, I, I couldn't see anything. <laughs> so uh, this this went on for quite a while. And then finally, uh, on one of these occasions where when they were saying they were seeing it, I was able to get my thermal up and, and see it also. Um, it appeared to me to be small, to possibly be a, a juvenile. It was behind a tree. Uh, when I looked, uh, it actually, at the time, we were also hearing sticks break. 
breaking and, and still we're being pelted with um, uh, acorns and uh, the small walnuts and stuff. And uh, so we felt like there's possibility that there was more than one around us because uh, the one that we were seeing couldn't be making all the noise and the breaking of the sticks and stuff. Because like I said, it literally seemed like we were surrounded. <clears throat> Excuse me. So anyway, um, uh, when I looked and saw the thing within a, a, about a second or two, uh, I then ended up seeing it down like it was on the ground looking around the tree. Uh, I, I honestly can't tell you whether that was one who that had dropped down and then was looking at me from the ground or whether it was actually two and the first one had ducked behind the tree and the second one popped out, you know, down around the ground. You know, I just can't say, I, I can only say that they, the two things I was seeing uh, were similar um, in looking through the thermal. They uh, looked to be about the same size and stuff. So I kind of assumed that it was just one and that when I started looking at him, he then dropped to the ground, hoping maybe that I wouldn't be able to see him. Uh, but, I, but I couldn't swear to that, whether it was uh, one or two. Um, then a little bit later, before we got ready to pack up and leave at the end of that night, um, it, either it or another one had thrown a rock. I was driving a, a Kawasaki mule at the time, didn't have a top on it. And it was parked there not too far from where we were sitting. And at the time, I, I didn't really, but this rock hit and it hit quite loud. And it almost to me sounded like somebody had an armload of boards and had had them stacked in the arms, carry them, and just dropped them all at the same time as it, you know, made a loud crash when it hit the ground and then seemed to rattle some. Well, it's a while. I you know, kept thinking about this for like a week or so, you know, as to what that could have been that made that noise and stuff. And then it finally dawned on me that I thought it was a, it could have been a rock landing in that mule and then bouncing around in there, kind of ricocheting off the metal. Uh, so a friend of mine had one about the same size and same style, I'm going to call and so, uh, excuse me, they uh, went out with uh, some rocks of different sizes, small, medium, large, and uh, experimented a little bit, throwing the rocks into uh, uh, this, uh, uh, it was a four-wheeler, actually, I think, and uh, it made them the same sound. That person, uh, was Lori Russell, was, was with us that night when we were out on the expedition, and she said that it sounded exactly like uh, what we had heard that night. So putting two and two together, we figured that that's what happened, that one of them threw a rock into this Kawasaki mule. Uh, to our knowledge, it was the only rock that was thrown all night. Um, I think the rest of them were all acorns and, and walnuts that were thrown at us. But that was my uh, first encounter with actually having seen one. Uh, and then it was just about a week later I was out with the group down in Kentucky, the Northern Kentucky Bigfoot Research Group that Tom Shea has. And we were uh, camping down there. And um, 
uh, a group of uh, where most of them was e- had either fallen asleep or were sitting around the campfire talking. And I was over at the edge of our base camp, sitting underneath a canopy, kind of keeping watch. And I decided that uh, it was getting a little chilly. And so I thought, well, the best thing for me to do is reach over and grab my sleeping bag, cover up with it, not get in it, but cover up with it. But I was afraid, I was, I was kind of afraid that if I did that, I would uh, start to get warm and probably would doze off and fall asleep. So um, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I decided that, okay, if I'm gonna cover up this sleeping bag, I better go ahead and, and just kind of scan the perimeter one more time, just in case I did fall asleep. So I started it over to my right and with my thermal again, started uh, scanning around. And when I got to about my uh, 10 o'clock position, I saw uh, something uh, sitting out. Uh, I couldn't tell at the time because the thermal uh, made everything look smaller than what it was and it looked farther away than what it was. Uh, but I saw something that appeared to be uh, kind of shaped like they describe a Bigfoot being shaped like, you know, kind of broad chest, you know, broad shoulders, uh, kind of conical head. And, and I saw it sitting out to about my 10 o'clock. Uh, and so I started watching it. And as I said before, I think it, it was about two o'clock in the morning uh, when I started doing this. And I watched this thing for a half hour. Wow. And it did move. It, it never made a movement of any kind. So I uh, I kept watching, watching, and finally I decided, well, I'm I'm going to get holler for Tom, uh, Tom Shea, and get him over there and get his opinion. So I hollered back there at the uh, fire because uh, he was over there talking to some individuals over there, and I said, Tom, I said, come over here and take a look at this a minute. So he come over and he got out his night vision, and started looking and I told him I said it's it's over there about my 10 o'clock but I said I've been watching for a half hour and and if it's a Bigfoot I said that thing has not moved I said I've watched and watched it and I said I've got thought maybe it was just my imagination that something else is out there you know that's giving off some heat and uh and I'm uh, misinterpreting it to be a Bigfoot well Tom lifted up his night vision started looking about that time it did move and it started the stuff that you hear, the kind of the sway and back and forth from side to side. And then it quickly uh, started crawling from the position of where it was at. Well, I didn't know it at the time um, because it had been dark out there. Uh, but the next day when it became light, we went out and looked for tracks and, and where this thing was and trying to measure distances and stuff. And it was actually sitting or had been sitting or leaning um, in the, it was a, in a dry creek bed and there at the edge of the dry creek bed was a rotted uh, uh, stump that it was actually behind and so that's why I could only see it from like the top of the chest up which was because the rest of it was behind the stump and down in this dry creek bed uh, but anyway it started crawling up behind a couple of trees um, and when it did uh, it's actually started giving, getting off a much brighter uh, white hot mm. um, a signature. Uh, I had did have my thermal set on white hot. Uh, I think it's easier for me to see that way. I can usually pick up things easier. But anyway, it crawled up behind this, these two trees. And as it was craw- crawling 
it, it was glowing pretty, uh, pretty bright. Uh, and it got up behind those two trees and stayed there behind them uh, for a while. And then by that time, uh, some of the other um, members of our group, uh, John Gregory Jarozovich and, and Ben and Rich Taylor, had heard uh, kind of commotion, me and Tom talk, talking about uh, seeing this Bigfoot and stuff. So they, got, they came over and quickly got out their thermals and started watching also. And uh, it stayed behind the trees uh, for a few more minutes. And then it crawled up behind two more trees. And each time that it was doing this, it was getting closer and closer to us. Hmm. Um, and so then it got up behind these other two trees and we watched for it. And finally it came back out again and started crawling up behind one tree. Uh, again, not knowing how close that tree was. Uh, the next day we found out it was about 30 to 40 feet away from us. Oh. And then it crawled behind that tree and we never saw it again. Well, at the time, we, again, we didn't know it because it was dark, but uh, running directly behind that tree was a dry creek bed. And so my belief is that uh, as it was crawling up behind that tree, it crawled down in that dry creek bed. And we had thought that it somehow stayed behind that tree and then was able to elude us some way getting out from behind that tree. But I don't think it ever was actually up behind the tree. I think it crawled down in the dry creek bed directly behind the tree and then got away that way, just crawled out the, the dry creek bed. Um, so that was um, my second actual uh, sighting of what I thought, thought was a Bigfoot. Um, so that was pretty interesting. And then um, through my years of being involved in investigations of Bigfoot and stuff, um, I've also become quite interested in audio and, take, and also fingerprinting of uh, possible Bigfoot prints. So I uh, uh, started uh, fingerprinting uh, any time that I felt like uh, they had left prints on vehicle windows or vehicles. Uh, I also, when I get, if it's a fairly active area, uh, I put out what I call a long duration recorder and uh, I'll set it to record every night from about nine o'clock at p.m. to seven o'clock a.m. And uh, I'll let that thing run for 30 days or so before I change out the SD card and the batteries in it. And then and, uh, you know, if I'm getting good audio, I let it go again. And I'll have anywhere up to maybe seven recorders out at a time. So I'm actually recording 70 hours of audio every night. And then I have to, you know, of course, upload those to my laptop. And, and I run them through uh, Audacity and try to look for uh, you know, visual signatures in there, whoops and howls and and maybe knocks and things like that, rock clacks that they're doing. And I break those down then into clips and, and save them. Man, that. Yeah, so it keeps me busy. Yeah, I'd say so 70 hours Yeah, a day for 30 days. You know? Yeah, a lot of time is invested in doing that. And, of course, I, I don't get all that done in one day. I don't get it all done in one week. Uh, I get done as much as I can and 
And then when the winter months come on, usually I'll pull my recorders and bring them in to kind of refurbish them, you know, repaint. You know, I paint them in the containers that they're in in camouflage colors and, and uh, just check, check them over, make sure the mics are still good. Um, everything's working properly and stuff to get them ready to go for the spring again. And then I spend the winter, you know, trying to catch up on some of my audio. Man, well, does it? You you unloaded two major sightings right there back to back, man. I I got some questions. I've already written like a whole page of notes. I don't know if you can see it or not. But, Fire away, brother. Uh, that first encounter you're talking about, you guys were sitting around each other, you know, like a circle, like a you know, yes, like a uh -huh. And when they were throwing, when you started getting those nuts thrown at you, uh huh. Do you think that maybe um, they were throwing those nuts as a distraction for you to look away long enough for this juvenile to, to escape? Like maybe they. That, 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 I really think that they were just doing to mess with us. If they had wanted to hurt us or anything, they would have thrown larger and would have thrown them harder. Uh, this thing, if it wanted to, had plenty of opportunity to get away. Uh, and he didn't want to get away. He just he wanted to play with us and mess with us and was more interested in what we were doing. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's a trail right there where we were at the uh, at the trailhead. And uh, a couple of our members had looked up the trail and, and saw high shine. And uh, of course, we don't know whether it was the same big or not or it could have been a different one uh, but this, this individual had plenty of opportunity and could have easily gotten away had it wanted to because all it had to do was continue going back into the trees from where where it was located and it could have got away easily so it wasn't wanting to get away yeah yeah and that's yeah, yeah it was doing it more, more than an effort it was throwing those things more than an effort just to see what we were going to do because yeah. I don't even believe it wanted us to leave. Because had it wanted us to leave again, it would have thrown them harder. It probably would have thrown some rocks, uh, broke some branches, you know, knocked down a tree, things of that. Yeah. Oh, I think I lost you there for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's back again. Yeah. All right. Cool. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you okay. good now. Yeah, it, it was giving me a warning that your bandwidth was looking low and then it it just it just blinked out for a second. It's good. Okay. Uh yeah. So you you were there. It if it wasn't trying to get away, and if it is a juvenile, I've heard a lot of reports that you know they're super curious, you know, that they like yeah. to be around people. They like they're just as curious about us as we are them, I guess. Yeah. And I and I really do believe uh that that's what was going on, that it was just wanting to see what we were going to do it was our it was we were its entertainment for the evening <laughs> and uh, like i said i i don't believe that it meant us any harm at all it didn't want to chase us away because there's a lot of other things that could have done you know if it wanted to do either of those yeah it was just like i said it was playing with us well i'm i'm glad <laughs> yeah yeah me too <laughs> me too uh, and you said about a week later, you you had a visual of one right. in a dry, you know, like like it was in a dry creek bed. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you know it 
it was crawling. How right. did, what did it look like when it was crawling? Did it did it get down on all fours or did it did yep. did it do that uh, spider crawl type? Well, it really didn't do what what you would call the spider crawl. I've seen people who have drawn pictures of what they look like when they're doing the spider crawl. Yeah. And it really didn't look like that. This thing was actually kind of down on all four. And I'll tell you what, if, if I had to describe um, maybe a position that it was in or something, it, it, it appeared to be crawling more like a frog. I mean, it's, it's back, its feet were kind of splayed out in the back. Yeah. And it was on up on its, like its toes. And uh, then the two hands, the one, the one hand was spread out just like you would do if you were, you know, hands, knees on the ground and, and had your fingers on the ground. You know, the, the one, the left hand that was, was actually spread out like it was supporting its weight. Its right hand was actually doubled up in a fist and it had something. Obviously, I can't say whether the object that it had was sharp or not because I had pointed. And it, too, gave off a heat signature. Wow. Now, whether it was, you know, a bone that had uh, been broken and sharpened or, or what, whether it just naturally was uh, pointed on the end because of the way it broke, you know, could have been a bone of some kind, could have been a stick that it had been using to dig with. You know, I, I don't know. Only thing I can say is it had something in its hand that it had it clutched in its fist and it was pointed on the end. Oh, that's absolutely frightening. I want to take just a minute to tell you guys about SquatchSurvivalGear.com. If you're into camping, bushcraft, survival, prepping, or just looking for an everyday carry, SquatchSurvivalGear.com has everything you need. They have the gear to help you survive the worst day of your life. You know, it's just to help you be ready. Uh, for me, I have the Rock Ape Pack. It's one of the backpacks that they offer. It is, it's a good size bag. You know, it, I, I took it out on my last trip for a, for a four-day camp, and everything I needed fit in there. Um, they have things that go from that size down to like a sling bag. They have a bigger bag, you know, like the Grassman or the Yowie. Uh, and if you haven't noticed, they have cool names too. You know, they're named after, you know, these cryptids, the Minahuni. Uh, they, 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 they got it all. But the gear itself is 100% made in America. Every component is made in America. Um, the guy that's designing them and making them here, his name is Chris. He's been on my show a couple times, but he's a uh, he's a veteran, and he went with the gear that he used while in military service, and reconfigured it to to be even better, and made it available you know to the civilian sector. Top of the line gear, absolutely bomb proof. I love it. Best I've ever had in my life. You know, I've I've had Camelbacks. I've had LL Bean. I've had uh, some some really high-end stuff, but this Squatch Survival gear, it just it steals the show. Uh, it's fantastic gear. So go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com. You can use promo code BUMP10 and save 10%.
on anything on the entire site. You know, and without knowing what its intentions were, you know, I, yeah. it can be discerning, but um, I don't know. Yeah. All, the only thing I can say is it was there. It was in its hand. And and this one was progressively moving closer and closer to yeah. you guys. It was moving closer and closer, but at the same time, you know, we weren't afraid or anything because, it, again, it just seemed like it was kind of playing a game with us. Like, mm-hmm. it was wanting to see how close it could get. You know, it didn't try to do anything. It didn't throw anything at us. It didn't try to break any tree branches or trees to frighten us away. Again, it just seemed like it was playing a game, like it was trying to see how close uh, it, it could come up to us. And and the wild, you know, had it wanted, had it meant us against some kind of harm or something, uh, it's hard to tell how long it sat out there behind that stump before I actually saw it. You know, that thing might have been sitting out there an hour or two. It could have easily gotten down. It could have crawled the same way that it crawled before, or it could have got down in that creek bed and, and been right up on us uh, without us even knowing it. Hmm. But it just seemed to be sitting out there observing us, watching us see what we were doing. And then once it realized that we were uh, watching it and seeing it, then it started this little game of, crawling up from tree to tree to get closer wow yeah so again you know not one time did any of us ever have the i guess the thought or concern that it was out to harm us in any way yeah it just just didn't act like it well let me ask you this and i i i would like i said i've talked to a lot of people from bfro and i ask everybody but I especially like to hear, you know, the responses from the BFRO guys, because, you know, there, it seems like members of BFRO are, are more of the flesh and blood crowd, you know, right. they, they stick inside that camp. Yes. Like uh, you personally, do you take into consideration any reports you get that might be a little woo factor or, or about orbs I- or anything? Yeah. I know what you're saying. What I tell everybody is uh, my personal belief right now is that there they are some flesh and blood creature, but I keep an open mind. I don't disregard anything anybody reports to me, and I'm always open to my mind being changed based upon the evidence that's presented to me. Yeah. And uh, if if somebody reports to me that one was sitting four feet away from them and just magically disappeared. That's what I put in my report. I don't try to, you know, sugarcoat or, or doctor their statement in any way or anything. I don't care what organization I'm involved with. I put down exactly as it was reported. I have to say, I, in some of these cases, I just don't know. And I have to say, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that answer, man. Cause you know, I would I would hate for anybody to be completely disregarded because it's something that somebody's uncomfortable with hearing. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So no, I like I said, I don't disregard anything anybody reports to me. Um, I put down, you know, exactly what they say, and uh, you know, I don't know. Like I said, you know, maybe a year from now, six months from now, five years from now, my mind may be changed. You know, and, I, and I'm open to that if that happens. But 
you know, I wanted it to be based upon evidence, you know, so. That's the, that's the best kind of investigation uh, work there is. And, you know, it, as long as you're staying open, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's yeah. a wonderful thing, you know, that, that puts you in a, you know, at a higher tier of uh, well, professionalism in my book, you know? Well, I, pre I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I don't, I try not to come into any kind of investigation with any preconceived notions of what, you know, what's happened or, or an explanation to something, you know, I just take what they say and, uh, and I go out and I look for evidence to either support the report that they made or uh, to prove, uh, I guess that the report as they were telling me could, could not have taken places right. as I was told. But whatever, whichever direction the evidence leads is, you know, that's what goes in my report. Good deal, man. Well, speaking of your reports, um, how busy are you guys? Are, do, you have, do you cover a large area yourself? Are you getting a lot of reports every week? No, I'll, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um, you know, I live in the southern part of Ohio. Mm -hmm. and we get a lot of reports down in this area a lot of activity taking place i know doug waller with his sauce group they get a lot of reports down in this area um and there just aren't uh, they there are not a lot of investigators in the southern portion of ohio yeah. i know with the bfro uh for years it seemed like most of the report uh, uh reports that were being investigated were up in the eastern or the northeastern portion of Ohio, but uh, that was also the area where most of the investigators lived. So they took they took uh, reports, you know, that were nearer to them or near some hot spot area, and uh, and consequently those are the ones that you see when you go on the public uh, BFRO website. Um, you know, I end up with a lot of reports simply because, of the, again, there aren't as many, say, BFRO investigators in the southern portion of Ohio. I do a, a lot, if not most of the investigations now for Doug's group um, that are reported out of the southern portion of Ohio. Um, of course, with Tom's group in Kentucky, um, we really don't. If, if he gets a report of something taking place in Ohio, he'll contact me. Uh, but most of the reports that we investigate and look into are in the kind of the northwestern um, Kentucky area around Trimble County. Okay. Okay. But yeah, we get, get a lot of reports. It keeps us busy, um, kind of comes and goes, you know, more, more reports that certain times of the year than there are to others but uh, um, do you think that I, might be because they're they're my no it just kind of uh, i guess goes inside yeah that's what i was thinking you know if uh if it kind of comes and goes do, do you think that these creatures might be uh migratory you know I, i'm open to that I really can't say that they do, although uh, let me put a couple qualifiers on that. Mm -hmm. One, I have had reporters out in areas that are very active, um, 
and have left the, the recorders out all winter uh, in areas where I get uh, Hold on a sec. I, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Hold on. Occasional knock or, or something like that, but nothing to, nothing to the magnitude uh, that I would have had during the warmer months. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, one of the things I wonder about, you know, I hear some people say that they think that they migrate and things. Well, my answer to that is, okay, well, if that's the case, how far do they migrate? Hey, Dusty, hold on just one second. But my, my internet is not. Below and the fact that live in, uh, let's say, Upper Michigan or Wisconsin, uh, some of those states, they would be walking down to Ohio. And that just doesn't appear to be true as far as the, the recorders that I've left out in the wintertime and stuff. You know, because if that, if that is the case, they're, they're not as active for some reason. Hmm. I, I do know that some people believe that they live in or that they may migrate to caves and, and old mines and things of that nature. And maybe there's some truth to that. I also know that some people claim that well, if they were living in an old mine, some of the, the gas from the, the mines. And so I'm still open to the possibility that maybe they do go to places where there's caves and mines, but yeah, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's anybody's guess, really, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, at this uh, point, I don't think we've proven it one way or the other, whether they do migrate or not. Like I said, maybe, maybe they do. Yeah. Um, I, I can say this, that in the wintertime, according to the research I've done with my recorders and stuff, in the wintertime, that if they do, if they don't leave the area, uh, for whatever reason, they're not as active. They're they're not knocking on trees and and doing rock plaques. Rosie, I I'm having a hard time hearing you. I think my internet's acting up. Hold on just one second for me, if you can hear me. Hold on just one second. I can hear it. Yes. All right, man. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. No problem. It, it gave me a chance to get a drink. <laughs> I have, uh, I don't mind putting them on blast. I have frontier communications for internet around here. I'm in Southern West Virginia and, uh, oh. man, I love it. It's the worst internet. I, I have 30 meg of internet at the, at the highest in my house. Wow. You know, I got Russ Jones. He lives 45 minutes from my house and he has like a gig, you know, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, if, if we turn on a microwave here, my internet goes out. Like, seriously. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. Yeah, but as, as far as migration goes, you know, I think, well, I, I don't really have much to go off of on this, but I feel like 
you know, a lot of animals, they, they, they'll change in elevation, you know, so maybe Southern Ohio, West Virginia, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, maybe yeah. they're, uh, you know, maybe they're going into the hills and out of the hills, you know, you know, in the hills and valleys throughout the, throughout the seasons. Just well, like I said, right now I'm open to anything because I, I haven't been able to prove uh, as far as migration, I haven't been able to prove it one way or the other. Right. I, I can just say that uh, in my areas in the southern portion of Ohio, the places I do research, it appears that they're not as active during the winter. Yeah. And uh, now you can take that for what it's worth, you know, could be for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Maybe they are Maybe they're still there and just not doing all the wood knocks and the rock clacks. Maybe, you know, I, the, the rock clacks interest me too, because, you know, I, I hunt every time I get an opportunity to, you know, in deer season. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of times I'll hear like, you know, it's not a wood knock, but I'll hear what sounds like two rocks clacking together, but it doesn't sound like just a rock. It sounds like a boulder fallen or uh -huh. something you know but it's like how many boulders could there possibly be on top of this mountain <laughs> you know yeah. for me to hear it every time i go out for it to clack yeah. one good hard time and then stop i i've heard the, the the wood knocks i've heard rock clacks i've heard what appears to be rocks against wood or against mm -hmm. a tree and i've also heard there's a couple places where i put out recorders that there it's I, I believe that the number of times that they knock and clack has a meaning. Yep. I believe the tone with which they do the knocks and clacks means something also. I, I believe also the tempo, you know, how fast they do them means something else. I, I have actually heard them do what sounds like they're, uh, it, it sounds like a hollow knock, like, uh, like they're hitting a piece of hollow wood against another piece of hollow wood yeah. and and i've heard it answered back uh with the same sound so again mm. i i i believe that means something uh and doesn't mean the same thing as if you're doing the home run knock against a tree yeah that's very interesting and yeah i think all those different tunes and and rhythms have a different meaning, but at this point, I don't think any of us can tell you what they are. I've seen yeah. people guess at what they what they mean or say that this is what they mean, but I've heard I couldn't tell you how many different explanations for one knock against the tree what that means. I mean, there's as many theories out there as there are people doing research. I believe <laughs> probably, you know, I've I've had the thoughts even of. Uh... As far as knocks go, you know how a, a gorilla will hit its chest, you know, as like a, an aggressive uh -huh. kind of behavior or whatever. And it, yep. if you listen to it, it's a almost like a higher tone, hollow sound. Yeah. It, it doesn't really sound like a thump, thump, thump. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've recorded one clapping and it, you can tell it's walking toward my recorder and it's making a sound. I can't say that it's clapping because I'm not there to see it, right. but it sounds like it's clapping its hands as it walks closer to my recorder. Wow. That is wild. Is it now all of this is in Southern Ohio? 
I, I well, not all of it. Uh, I, most of my recorders are in Southern Ohio. I have had recorders out in the Northern part of Kentucky at mm -hmm. times. I've also had uh, some recorders out in the Southern part of Kentucky at times, okay. but all those have, ta have taken place. I'm trying to think to make sure that I'm not telling you something's not true. I, all of them have either been a Southern Ohio or Northern or Southern part of Kentucky. Deal. All right, I just got a, one more big question and it's, you know, it's a hundred percent, you know, your theory on this. What do you think that we're dealing with here? Um, is it a, a wood ape? Is it uh, a species of mankind? Or what, what, where do you fall at in the whole personal beliefs about Bigfoot? Well, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think that it's, you know, some people say it's an, it's an undiscovered primate. You know, I, I, I do believe it's a primate. Mm -hmm. uh whether it's undiscovered or not you know a, a lot of people have seen them a lot of people have researched them uh, most of the scientific community at this point is unwilling to accept the evidence that's presented or brought forth uh regarding these creatures but i i can't say that it's that even really that they're undiscovered because that's not true people have discovered them it's just that the scientific community uh, largely is unwilling to accept the evidence that they've been presented. Uh, I don't know. Uh, right now, I guess my belief is that somewhere back along the line, um, thousands of years ago, that uh, uh, somewhere there was somehow there was a union or joint um, union between uh, a human and either an ape or some type of, uh, I guess, relic hominin uh, mm -hmm. of some type. And that, uh, that that brought about Bigfoots, I guess. Yeah. Um, it just depends on, I guess, again, what evidence and, and, and what researchers you believe mm -hmm. as to uh, where these creatures come from. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's a portion of people out there that think they have come in spaceships. There's a group of people out there that believes they're part of the Nephilim from the Bible. You know, uh, at this point, I, I just have to say I'm not smart enough to know. <laughs> I, I love that, you know, because no, nobody can know yet. And no, uh, I, I, I think that someday, you know, whether it's in this life or the next one, That'll all be revealed to us, but uh, at, at this point, it's just not—it's it, just not. I guess the good Lord doesn't have intentions of telling us at this time what you, they are. You know, you so go. we we keep researching. There you go, man. That's a perfect answer. You know, when it's our time to know, we'll know, right? Yeah, that's it. And I may not know in this lifetime, and if if that's the case, you know, I'll keep trying, but. You know, I just have to accept that, I guess. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, man. Well, Dusty, is there, uh, is there anything else you want to cover or you want to let him, you know, let the audience hear how to contact you um, because they have their own report that they want. Yeah, to well, yeah, I'll tell you what, they, they could, I'm on Facebook. 
if you look me up, it's Dusty Rue. Uh, I live in the southern portion of Ohio, actually Washington Courthouse. Uh, you'll see me picture there with my red Jeep Wrangler. They can also get a hold of me by sending me an email. Uh, email is Dusty. It's D-U-S-T-Y. R-U-T-H, that's my last name, Dusty Root, the numeral one at gmail.com. So it's Dusty Root one at gmail.com. They can contact me that way too. Uh, just tell me that they heard me on your podcast and that they wanted to talk to me about a situation with Bigfoot. And uh, I'll be glad to get them uh, to contact them, whether that be via email whether it's via uh, Facebook or if they want to include their phone number, they can do that and I'll call them. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dusty. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I know it's the night before Thanksgiving when we're recording this and everybody's trying to scramble to get stuff ready. You know, my wife's making pecan pie right now and I got to go make deviled eggs. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you taking the time for me tonight, man. Uh, I, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do this. And I would encourage everybody to get a chance. You might get on Facebook and look up the Northern Kentucky Bigfoot Research Group. Again, it's Tom Shea's group. And uh, just join, ask uh, to join that group if you would. It's a very knowledgeable group. Uh, they post stuff on there all the time about uh, current events and also some of the investigations that we're doing. And uh, a lot of things involving uh, tracks and and cast and and hairs and things like that nice. uh so if you do have an interest in bigfoot you might uh reach out to uh tom's group and and join through facebook good deal man i'll, I'll try to find that and put a link to it in the show notes too that way people oh can, i greatly appreciate that that way people can find it for you all right man well dusty thank you so much again and uh have a happy thanksgiving and, all right you, you too and I'll, I'll talk to you uh through email soon <laughs> all right thanks for having me on all right thanks brother bye bye bye, bye. all right that's it for this week guys i hope you enjoyed listening to the show if you just have to have more content you can go to patreon.com slash the bump podcast and subscribe and be a patron uh got more and more content on there every week so i hope you enjoy that uh to catch up on past episodes go to the bumppodcast.com Click the episode tab, and it'll take you to any episode you want to listen to. Also, if you want to be on the show, I would love to have you on. Share your story with us. Go to thebumppodcast.com. Click the holler at me button and holler at me. Send me an email, thebumppodcast at gmail.com, and uh, I'll get you on as fast as we can. All right. Again, thanks for listening. I love you guys. Until next time, don't stop believing.